We're good? All right. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 is our text for today. We're going through the Gospel of Luke together. Bear with me. Uh, if you haven't had your coffee, get your coffee. Uh, there was a lot in this text, um, and so it just really ministered to me. I hope it ministers to you as well. Um, Luke 13, 10 through 17. Starting in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a, dis, a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger, and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we pray you will be with us, and pray that you will be glorified. I pray, Lord, that I will preach to the audience of one today. And Lord, I pray for those who do not know you today, who might find this weird or bizarre or disinterested. We pray, Lord, that you will revitalize and regenerate the soul. We pray, Lord God, that this world will bring correction and training and righteousness to us who believe that we would be challenged to live obediently throughout the week for your glory. That we know, God, uh, obedience doesn't precede faith. Faith precedes obedience. Faith in your obedience precedes our actions. And so we trust in the finished work of Jesus here today. And we pray that upon the finished work, that in our sanctification, Lord, you will use this word, your word, to cut deep into those areas that need to be cut. Be with us, Lord, and forgive us. If we have been disinterested in your word, be with us today, Lord, we plead. We, apart from you, we can do nothing. You are the vine and we are the branches. And Father, you are the vine dresser. Do the work today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Justin Martyr said, all things which the Savior did, he did in the first place in order that what was spoken concerning him and the prophets might be fulfilled. That the blind should receive sight, the deaf hear, Isaiah 35.5, and so on. But also to induce the belief that in the resurrection, the flesh shall arise entire, he says. And then he continues to say, for if on earth he healed the sicknesses of the flesh and made the whole body well, much more will he do this in the resurrection so that the flesh shall rise perfect and entire. 
The healings of Jesus in the scriptures show us who he is. And the healings and miracles remind us of the life to come. Now, it's essential to note that sicknesses or disabilities are not to be used to say that one has done wrong. We had the example of the blind man in John. They said, was it his sin or his parents? And Jesus was like, neither. He was blind, blind his whole life so that one day I would heal him and God would get glory from it. So we're not saying here today that in all cases it's demonic or you did something wrong. But it could be the result of genetics or other external causes. But overall, God allows it to take place. In today's sermon, I'm not saying that someone's disability is always tied to a demonic stronghold. But this was the case in our text. But it wasn't the point of the text. Some people use this, run with this whole demonic ideology and theology when the point of the passage is not the woman being healed. The point of our passage was to show Jesus as the Messiah and that even as he healed the woman who had a disability for 18 years, listen, some still refused to believe. In fact, some were indignant. The text before us is a reminder that one can be in church and even in the things of God and not have God. So our outline for today, point number one, a miracle by Jesus in verses 10 through 13. A miracle by Jesus. Second point, the madness of the synagogue in verses 14 through 16. The madness of the synagogue And then last, third point, the merriness of the people. Verse 17. Point number one, the miracle. Point number two, the madness. Point number three, the merriness is what we see in our text. So point number one, a miracle by Jesus in verses 10 to 13, we see a synagogue here. Now, a synagogue served as a gathering or a community of Jewish people coming together to worship and study like we do here every week. Matter of fact, we did it weekly. The name synagogue means to bring together, come together, to assemble. And synagogues were established during the Babylonian exile. It's interesting that you don't see the word synagogue in the scriptures in the old. It's a phenomenon that happened as a result of the temple destruction and captivity. The Gospels provide evidence that Jesus engaged in the synagogue often. Jesus went to church. So some of y'all who don't like church, well, you don't like, let me not go there. Um, Go on a little rabbit trail there. But the Gospels provide evidence that Jesus engaged in the synagogue often. And we see him teaching and delivering sermons in the synagogue. He preached there. On the Sabbath day, attending synagogue services would have been custom. Matthew 4, 23, Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, it says, Cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and affliction at the synagogues. Jesus entered the synagogue in Matthew 12, 9, and in Matthew 13, 54, we see Jesus again teaching at a synagogue. So you see this throughout the synoptic gospels, even in the gospel of John. You see Jesus teaching and being at the synagogue often. 
The synagogue served as a gathering of community where worship, prayer, and the study of the scripture happened. Teaching here meant that Jesus instructed them. He wasn't just speaking. He was teaching the word. Can you imagine sitting under the word teaching you the word? I wish I was there. The synagogue served as a gathering of community and Jesus was there teaching the word. He was providing instruction. He was telling them what to do from the scriptures. Remember that Jesus is traveling south to Jerusalem to do what the father told him to do. In fact, Pennis, Luke 13, 22 tells you that he was on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. That's where he was going. He was going to Jerusalem to die, to go to the cross. As he's, as he's traveling there, he's teaching. So from what it sounds like here, Jesus paused on his journey because it was the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a tradition from ancient Israelite and Jewish religion that fell on the seventh day of the week and had always been a day of rest. In ancient Israel, Judaism and early Christianity, the seventh day, along with specific feast days, was distinguished by the cessation or the stop of work and the practice of ceremonial observance. It was done to remember that God rested on the seventh day. And so Leviticus 23.3 and other passages speak of the Sabbath as a day of solemn rest. Now we know that Jesus is our Sabbath. We find rest in Christ, not in the day. Religion can't give you rest. Dressing differently won't give you rest. Not having a beard for my, you know, back in the day and my background being from Pentecostalism, having a beard would disqualify you from doing what I'm doing with you here today. But cutting your beard won't save you or give you rest. Praise God. I don't want to cut my beard, y'all. I want to keep it. The Sabbath day was a day of rest to the Lord, so it would make sense that Jesus and his disciples would decide to fellowship at the synagogue on the way. But along the way, verse 11 says, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now notice the use of behold in our text. Jesus isn't saying this. The disciples isn't saying this. It was the writer Luke pointing out something that deserves your attention here today. He's telling Theophilus who he's writing to, behold, Theophilus, pay attention here. Look and see that a woman had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Pay attention. Now, disabling meant that a demonic spirit, according to verse 16 of our text, had caused the woman to be weak, sick, feeble, and in, in cap, uh, incapable of moving, incapable of standing straight. She was bent over, meaning her body was bent forward. One description described the word as she was humpbacked. She was like this the whole time. And she wasn't able to straighten herself and the cause of that was demonic. Luke also tells us that she could not wholly straighten herself and raise or stand up straight. She was bound, and the cause 
was a spirit. That is why the NASB rightly said that it was a sickness caused by a spirit, the translation says. What would Jesus do here while teaching in the synagogue? He will call her over. Now notice that Jesus, when he was teaching, called her over. But not only that, verse 12 tells us he saw her. When Jesus saw her, Jesus paid attention to her. He considered her. He noticed her while he was teaching in the synagogue. One description of what Jesus did here was that he showed interest in her and in her condition. This really convicted me and it should convict you because culturally in our time and place, many of us are used to looking over someone like this woman. We don't want to be around them. Downtown, I see it. Jesus took time to look at her and her situation. He saw her. You want to be like Jesus? I think we should repent for looking over the needs of other people. We clearly see need, but we look over. We don't look at them. We don't spend time with them. We don't invest in them. You know what? Jesus did this while doing ministry. He took time for a woman who was bound and probably was considered unclean. Jesus not only saw her, then he calls her over, the text says. Now I wonder what the people thought since someone in her condition could have been considered unclean, especially when bound by a demonic spirit. You know what? Jesus didn't mind if there was an issue with her coming to where they were. He saw her, he called her, and he said, woman, you are freed from your disability. Jesus used a legal term. To be freed here meant to be released from prison. Be free from the prison of your disability caused by a demonic spirit is what Jesus is saying here. It gives you the sense of authority that he had. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Jesus saw her, called her, and said, woman, you are freed. And he laid his hands on her, and she was set free. This jogged my brain back to Genesis where God said, let there be light. God called the light day and the darkness night. God called the expanse heaven. God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. The same God who said, let there be light and saw the earth and its corruption is the same God in the flesh who would see and speak to this woman in our text. And one question I had was, what happened to the woe is me part? For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amid a, a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. John 12 says that Isaiah saw Jesus, the same Jesus in our text. What happened to you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. 
I don't want us to miss what's happening here, saints. The infinite, holy, sinless Son of God touches a woman with a demonic spirit. If I knew you had a demon, I ain't going to touch you. That's scary stuff. I'll just throw, throw oil at you or something. Like, Yo, I rebuke you, you know, like. That's our response, right, to, to weirdness, to things that are demonic, to weird things, people, manif whatever the case is, our response is to stay away, not touch. But God the Son was stooped to that level where others wouldn't. He would notice what others ignored, and he would touch what others wouldn't touch. The hands of the incarnate Son of God who was there in the beginning, who called the light day and the darkness night, who called the expanse heaven, he will call the woman to himself so that he could set her free. He will lay his hands on her. This is real healing. It's not that fake video manipulated show called a healing service. Luke tells us that she was immediately made straight. She was instantly at once healed by the voice and hand of the creator who came in the flesh. And what was the result? She glorified God. She exalted God. She extolled God. She praised God. She worshiped God. She honored God. The only response one could have. Can you imagine the sense of thanksgiving after being bound 18 years and being set free? One year is long enough. Man, a week of this is enough. 18 years. Even more. What about being bound by your sin your whole life and being set free? Listen, have you forgotten to do what this woman did in our text? Yeah. You, do you remember what you've been delivered from? How dare you now worship the Lord on a Sunday for what he has done for you? I ain't going to worship today because I have a bad week. This is whack. You know, so-and-so. Like, you know, I can't believe they're coming to church. They're, hip they're a hypocrite. Like, why, you know? Did you forget what God has done for you? Man, when I come to church, it's like, God, I don't even deserve to even use the, my lips to say your name. And yet you accept it because you redeemed me. You saved me. You delivered me. I can't help but to worship the Lord. She is a model example of the response the redeemed should have daily, not just on Sunday. However, those who were in the synagogue had a different response. They were indignant. To our second point, the madness of the synagogue in verses 14 through 16. Let's read it, verse 14. But the ruler, after Jesus healed the woman, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. A ruler of the synagogue. Now, a ruler of the synagogue would be a man who'd arrange gathering time by assigning people who would read scripture, 
lead people in prayer and worship. The ruler was to supervise the business of the synagogue, and they would give the sermon. They would do what I'm doing here today. Rulers of the synagogue were members of their communities who often served as ambassadors for Jewish communities residing in Gentile cities. So the one in charge of worship service, prayer, and sermons was indignant. To be indignant meant to be angry at someone to the point of expressing fury. It meant to be pained and vexed to the point of responding with outrage. So the ruler in charge of reading scripture, prayer, worship, and sermons was furious. This led him to say to the people, listen, there are six days in which work ought to be done. The ruler said that there are six days of the week. You could do all this. And my question right away was, where was the exaltation? Where was the extolling? Where was the praising? Where was the worship? Where was the honoring God for freeing a woman who was bound for 18 years? It was hindered. You know why? He did not interpret Jesus correctly. It goes back to the passage in Luke 12, 56. You remember? Luke 12, 56, he says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The ruler said to the crowd, Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. The ruler said, Not on the Sabbath, where a cessation of work and ceremonial observance would occur. It was echoing Leviticus 23, 3. Now, was the issue about working on the Sabbath, or was it because Jesus did the miracle on the Sabbath? I think the ruler had a problem with Jesus. The ruler's problem stemmed from not knowing who Jesus was. He has no clue. Remember, God said, let there be light. God called the light day and the darkness night. God called the expanse heaven. God saw the earth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Verse 14 of John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The ruler did not know how to interpret the present time. The ruler in charge of reading scripture, prayer, worship, and the sermon was furious because God in the flesh the God he was reading about, the God he was praying to, the God he supposedly was worshiping and preaching about, healed on the day that he considered an observance. The ruler missed his time of the Lord's visitation. The ruler proves that one could be about scripture, about prayer, about worship, and about sermons, yet Miss seeing who Jesus is. God don't care how many sermons you hear. He's, He's more concerned with your heart and your sight as far as who he is. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who he is? Who is he to you? Do you see him? Do you see him in the sermons? Do you see him in prayer? 
Do you see him in worship? Is God glorious to you? That matters. Because I know, like, you know, sometimes we, uh, we're very attracted to theology, and that's very far from being attracted to God. We can be attracted to good sermons and not be attracted to God. What does it mean to see Jesus? Turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50 to help us. John 12, 44 through 50. Starting in verse 44 of John 12. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I, do, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. According to John 12, seeing Jesus means believing that the Father sent him. Seeing Jesus means that one can no longer remain in darkness. Seeing Jesus means that one has heard his word and they keep it. In our text, seeing Jesus means glorifying him for what he has done. The ruler is more concerned with keeping the Sabbath than celebrating the Lord of the Sabbath. The ruler had an integrity problem that stemmed from not seeing Jesus for who he is. Verse 15, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Notice the plural. Hypocrites. The ruler and some in the synagogue were hypocrites. Luke, the author of this account, notice this is very important. That's why when you read scripture, read it carefully. Luke the author of this account calls Jesus Lord in his portion of scripture. There's a reason for that, saints. This assertion of his title is not accidental. It's inspired and intentional. In verse 12, notice Luke calls Jesus by name when he sees the woman and says to her, you are freed. Then in verse 14, Luke records that the ruler of the synagogue was indignant because he says Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Then in verse 15, Luke asserts the title Lord. Calling Jesus Lord meant that he was in charge by virtue of possession. Calling him Lord means that he was the owner. What was Jesus the owner of in our text? To give you a little bit of help, let's go back to Luke chapter 6. Bring your Bibles. Luke 6, verses 1 through 5. We use them here at Christ alone. 
Luke 6, 1-5, what is Jesus the Lord of? Well, he told us already. In Luke chapter 6, verses 1-5, through it says, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He owns it. Jesus is in the position of authority over the Sabbath. He is the master of the Sabbath. He is the possessor and sovereign over all creation, including the Sabbath. Can I get an amen on that? The one who healed on the Sabbath was the Lord of the Sabbath. He owned it. Jesus is the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. He's the one who called the light day and the darkness night. He called the expanse heaven. Jesus is the one who saw the earth and how corrupt it was and did something about it in Genesis 3.15. Jesus, the Lord, called the ruler and those in the synagogue who heard scripture, who prayed, who worshipped, and heard sermons, hypocrites. Hypocrisy is always rooted in a lack of faith in Christ and a wrong interpretation of who Jesus is. This produces a life of hypocrisy that can be about scripture, prayer, worship, and sermons apart from the object of worship. It's very possible that you've been coming here for a while and not know who Jesus is. You're more enamored with fellowship, with community, with preaching than Christ. A hypocrite is a stage player, an actor, a moral or even religious counterfeit, a pretender or one who plays a part. The part being played here is that they were indignant, yet they did the very thing they accused Jesus of. The miracle, the healing exposed their moral and religious commitments as counterfeit. They were fakes. Jesus said, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? This is how blind they were. A woman was bound for 18 years and she was set free. Yeah. And instead of glorifying God, they were indignant. I'm not going to that church. <laughs> they could not see that Jesus was Lord over the Sabbath. He didn't violate the law. He violated their traditions. He came to clarify and fulfill the law. To show that he was Lord over the law. Jesus untied this woman from being bound by a disabling spirit, and they refused to acknowledge him for it. You know what? Something is very wrong here. We often tell people they don't need to know every reason for what God does. True. God does not need to explain himself. But in order to do what the woman did, glorifying God, one must understand who Jesus is. A saving knowledge of Jesus, to praise him for who he is, to worship him for who he is, to glorify him for who he is, 
even in situations you cannot understand. I don't think this woman knew fully everything, but she knew one thing. She knew one thing, that Jesus was worthy of being glorified. That one thing is enough. Not knowing Jesus leaves one to ignorance. It also leaves them in our text to their inconsistencies and hypocrisy, which can happen with someone who knows about Jesus. You can know all you want about Jesus and still be a hypocrite. Knowing about Jesus doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus does. It can happen to someone in the church as it did here in our text. You know, what is beautiful here is that Jesus, knowing that healing on the Sabbath would bring trouble, <laughs> he healed anyway. I know what they're going to do. They're going to get all upset. So what? This woman is bound for 18 years. He had compassion on her. He ain't got time to be worrying about people beefing about him doing a miracle. Ain't, ain't no time for that. The time presently when he was here was to reveal himself as the Messiah. Now, because of the woman's condition, he showed compassion to the point of speaking to her and touching her. It's brought to mind that, you know what, even church can get in the way of compassion. That could happen. People who are indignant, we're in the synagogue weekly, they can get in the way. Ministry routine can get in the way. People complaining and causing division in the church will get in the way of ministry. If your complaint and gripe is a weekly thing with the church, get out of the way. We got work to do. Go to another church and split that church up. Don't do it here. We're really trying hard here to serve our community, to preach the gospel faithfully. We don't need you to come here and beef with everything we do. We already know we're a mess. You're coming into it. You come to my house, right away you'll know. Man, Pastor Los is a hot mess. No doubt. But that's why we congregate and get together. If you have been one to be angry and indignant with what God is doing in the church, and you're not conscious of your own issues that you bring to the church, you're a hypocrite. And you're in the way. I don't want to be one of those. The ruler's problem, along with all the adversaries Jesus had in our text, is that they not only did not see Jesus for who he is, but they were doing the very same things they accused him of. They missed what had just happened. A woman bound and disabled for 18 years was set free. He says in verse 16, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Notice how Jesus describes the woman in two ways. First, a daughter of Abraham. Now, this is the only time Jesus addressed any woman this way. So why does Jesus say this to her specifically? I was reading some commentaries on it, and I believe that it is an acknowledgement of true, genuine faith in him. Because Jesus is the God of the universe, he recognized her covenant heritage and privilege and inclusion. This meant that she was truly of Abraham. Remember in John, when the Pharisees and the leaders who were hypocrites were saying, no, we're of Abraham. 
And he says, no, 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 your father's the devil. Remember that? He was talking about faith. You can be genetically tied to Abraham, but even these stones, God can make these stones into sons of Abraham. Faith is distinctive of covenant privilege. Remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, to Zacchaeus' house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He said this after Zacchaeus repented. In our text, the woman's covenant privilege may have been acknowledgement of her faith in him. Before her encounter, she was bound for 18 years, which resulted in Jesus coming to her, speaking to her, telling her to come forth, laying his hands on her, setting her free, and now a daughter of Abraham can glorify God. Notice that Jesus says it was Satan, not a sickness, that bound her for 18 years. I know some of our Western-minded tendencies, when we see someone sick, we tie it right away to getting an aspirin or going to the hospital. There is an element of spiritual something happening here. Satan bound her. So that's why I think us Western-minded Christians in the church who think this is the way the church should be throughout the world, maybe we should go into prayer first rather than the medicine cabinet first. Now, I'm not saying don't take pills. I've taken pills. I, you know what I'm saying? I had issues. But our natural tendency and first reaction, maybe we should ask the Lord for healing. Deliver me, Lord. I'm sick. I have cancer. Doctor said I'm going to die in a year. I've heard plenty of stories of people being delivered, being healed, and transformed. You have a right to believe God for something like that. Amen. I've sat on the deathbeds of believers and prayed that God will heal them. And it's easy for us to theologically be in our little ivory tower and say, yeah, you know, you know God is sovereign. He, you know, we shouldn't be praying for those things. No, when you're beside someone who's ready to die, there is desperate faith sometimes that takes place. And I have seen God answer prayer. Jesus attributed what had happened to her physically to Satan himself. He also called the sickness a bond, meaning the illness was a chain. It was a yoke strap, as one word study said. Those who were indignant would have been fine with the yoke strap removed from a donkey to get water than for a woman who was bound for 18 years. What a shame that they could not see that the Messiah who came to set the captive free was there. What a shame that many, even in the visible church, lack faith in the healing of someone who needs healing. Charles Spurgeon said, it is a terrible thing when the healing balm loses its efficacy through the blunderer who administers it. It's a terrible thing. We have the gospel. When's the last time you believed for someone's salvation? What greater healing does someone need than their salvation? Yes. 
The same Jesus who healed this woman is the same Jesus who could deliver someone from being bound by Satan today. The hope in Jesus that produced joy and rejoicing is the same response we should have today since the gospel has freed us and can free those still bound in their sin. We should rejoice over what Christ has done and will do. Our last point in closing, the merriness of the people in verse 17 to close. There are two results here in our text. Result number one, those who, would who were adversarial to what Jesus did were put to shame. An adversary here is someone who's in opposition to what Christ is doing. They are not only opposed to him, but are hostile to him. These were church people who listened to sermons, who worshiped, who prayed, now are hostile to the object of worship. They were shamed because they knew what Jesus said was true. The adversaries were okay with removing a yoke strap from a donkey to get water, but were not okay with Jesus freeing a woman for 18 years. As we, used, you know, as we say, you know, he put them on blast. Put them out there. Shamed them. They were humiliated. They were disgraced because of their hypocrisy. The second thing we see, those who saw what Jesus did with the woman who was bound, all the people weren't opposing Jesus. Some rejoiced. They were joyful, not only with the sign, but at all, the text says, the glorious things that were done by him. And this convicted me because I was asking myself, I've been on this thing this week of taking time to be joyful over what God has done. When's the last time that the goodness of God just made you smile? When's the last time the goodness of God encouraged you? When's the last time the goodness of God took you out of your depression? I remember working in the warehouse on Mondays, and I was still preaching uh, at our first church plant. Mondays were the hardest days. They're the hardest days for pastors. It's easy to get depressed because when you look back at the sermon, it's like, dang, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I look at my wife sometimes, and she gives me that look like, you shouldn't have said that. I'm just like, and then I regret, regret, regret. Then I get depressed, 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 and then my whole day's messed up. Then I, there were times where I said, you know what, let me step back and really think about what God has done. He saved me. He delivered me. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I've been forgiven a great debt. And then Worship starts erupting. Yeah. And then I start walking a little different, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I'll be like, yo, like, I'm saved. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. Monday come, Tuesday come, beef come, whatever come, I'm saved, I'm delivered. God set me free from an immeasurable debt and calls me his son. I'm happy. I'm joyful at that point. Let the supervisor and whoever have their beef or whatever. I'll be like, yo, God bless you, man. Yeah. May the Lord bless you today. If you want to chop it up about Jesus, let's chop it up. At work. When's the last time joy stirred that response? Augustine said, there is joy which is not given to the ungodly, but to those who love thee. For thine own sake, whose joy thou thyself art. And this is the happy life 
Augustine says, to rejoice to thee, of thee, for thee, this it is, and there is no other. Do you truly believe in Jesus? Or are you like the ruler who led worship, prayer, and preached sermons, involved in the things of God, yet lost? John 5, 39-40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You search the scriptures, but you're refusing to come to me. James 4, 6, but he, gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 15, 8 through 9, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You can have all that and not have Christ. People say Christ alone is you know, all about theology, all about doctrine. We're about Jesus and we know that to be better stewards of the mysteries of God, theology is important, doctrine is important. But don't get it twisted. We're devotional at it. At our systematic theology, there were times where I was te teared up. I was just like, wow, talking about the Trinitarian God and how, how that works, how in the Trinity, God invites us to the community of the Trinity. And so if you're dead here in your trespasses and sins, you have not come to saving faith in Jesus. You're walking in the course of this world. The Bible says you're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. He calls us, apart from faith, sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. The Bible says by nature we are children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and he raised us up, seated us with him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. That's why by grace we have been saved through faith and the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself alive. Only God could do that. So our prayer today is that God will stir in your heart faith, that you will come to repentance and saving faith. Life apart from Jesus is dead. Only life with Jesus is life. He saved me. He saved many of us from drug addictions, from the streets. And now we're no longer of the streets. We're of a different street. A street of gold. Amen? Yeah, yeah. I like that street. 
Where something so expensive as gold is something that I walk on now? That's a good life. But in the meantime, I'm walking on cement. I'm walking on this planet, on this earth. And I'm going to live it in a way where I'm thankful for the treasure I have in Jesus. Amen. I pray that that's you here today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Be with us today. We ask, open our eyes and our hearts to you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Help us to celebrate you, to worship you, not just to talk about you, be about you. Help us. We ask, Lord, that you would save and deliver. And also that you would remind us of the great debt that has been paid. That we would erupt in worship and in prayer for what you have done in us. Help us not to stay away from those that are sick. Help us, not, help us to look at people as image bearers who might be sick, who might be homeless, who might not look like us. Help us to look at them with dignity, knowing that they bear the image of their creator. Help our church to be compassionate as you were. 